This is Banished and I am Amna Khalid. Shakespeare, thou hast been cancelled. That was the opening line of a piece in the New York Post last year about how many English literature educators were refusing to teach Shakespeare. Why? Because his plays are full of problematic ideas including misogyny, racism, homophobia, classism, anti-Semitism, and misogynoir. The movement hashtag disrupt texts which is representative of the broader trend in K-12 education to teach literature through a social justice lens, reduces Shakespeare's exalted place in the literary canon to white supremacy and colonization. In the event that you must teach Shakespeare's works, say proponents of the movement, the only responsible way to do so is by disrupting them. Some even suggest calling out the misogyny in The Taming of the Shrew, the racism in Othello, and the anti-Semitism in The Merchant of Venice by collectively booing in class. Which raises the questions, is Shakespeare no longer relevant? Does he retain the capacity to speak across lines of difference, or is it time to drop him from our curricula? To answer these questions, I turn to Laura Bates, professor of English at Indiana State University and founder of Shakespeare and Shackles, a prison program for those in solitary confinement. I started our conversation by asking Bates, why Shakespeare? Well, that's a good question. And even my Shakespeare professors have raised that question. Could another author or other works of literature do the same? And I feel strongly that Shakespeare offers much more than any other author or any other genre or period of literature. And the prisoner that I spent most of the time working with, Larry Newton, feels strongly the same way. That for one thing, Shakespeare has such a recognizable name and feeling of accomplishment. I mean, remember that a lot of especially long-term serious maximum security prisoners don't come with much education. They don't come with college degrees typically. And so they've been told through much of their lives that they are losers, they're incapable, they're broken, something's wrong with them. And if they can feel the mastery of taking on what is recognized as one of the most difficult works of literature, they feel good about themselves. Their family, for the first time, feels pride in their accomplishments. And that in itself is important. Beyond that, the literature offers a lot of opportunities for interpretation. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your work with Larry Newton for our listeners. You wrote this book called Shakespeare Saved My Life, which is in part drawing on Larry's experience of reading Shakespeare. So if you could give us a little bit of history about where he was from and how he related to Shakespeare. So I'm at this prison, a maximum security prison. I'm invited. The door has literally been opened for me to go into a place where no volunteer, no college professor has ever gone before or since. And now I'm in Supermax. And I'm literally just going cell to cell, more or less knocking on the door saying, hi, would you like to read some Shakespeare? One of the men I come face to face with is Larry Newton. And he agreed. He accepted a one-page handout that I was offering to prisoners there to read and respond to. 
And later, Larry told me that the only reason he agreed is because he didn't even know who Shakespeare was. <laughs> and that worked in our favor, because otherwise he would have said no, I'm sure. So he took on this challenge. And that's another thing about Larry is he's always relished a challenge and an intellectual challenge. I mean, this is an incarcerated man, incarcerated most of his youth, in fact, starting at the age of 10. So very little formal education, but somebody who has a very inquisitive mind and a very capable mind when it's applied, as Shakespeare so beautifully did. Larry went from the day that we met not even knowing who Shakespeare was to 10 years later, because that's about how long we worked together. He had read every one of Shakespeare's plays, and he had written about every one of Shakespeare's plays in very insightful ways. And here's the key, in ways that he could find these plays to be relevant, that they do still speak to people today, and even to uneducated people. So there is definitely room for Shakespeare in the college curriculum, but maybe even more so room in the prison curriculum. So this raises interesting questions. We're talking about people who have very little formal education. We're talking about people whose class backgrounds distinguish them very much from someone who might be going to an elite college. And we're talking about them reading Shakespeare. And like you said yourself, Shakespeare is seen as arcane, difficult. There you are teaching these prisoners and their interpretations were rivaling those of some of the most renowned Shakespeare scholars. And they had insights that you have not found incomparable with those of some of the best students you were teaching outside of prison. Exactly. And I was finishing my doctoral work at the time when I brought Shakespeare into the prison. And the reason for my curiosity about prisoners' responses to Shakespeare is because you know, we talk about the term universality with Shakespeare, and that was certainly very prominent in my graduate school era. And I wanted to test that. And I thought, well, is there a limit to this so-called universality? What about these people that don't have any kind of background that you would think you would embrace or respond to Shakespeare? Shakespeare scholars, as far as I know, none of them have ever done time in prison for murder in particular. And my personal favorite play happens to be Macbeth. And what a brilliant insight into the mind of a killer. And I thought, well, no Shakespeare scholar, no academic is going to be able to really tell me how accurate this was portrayed. And so Larry, who, yes, is doing time for murder, as are most of the inmates I worked with in Supermax in particular, said, this is right on. It's frightening how right on and how accurate it is. And remember, when we think about the canon today and we're thinking, oh, this is the dead white male author, Shakespeare wrote from the female point of view as well as from the male. He wrote representing kings and queens and peasants and, yes, killers in a very insightful way, in a way that I think anyone can relate to, whether you're male or female, educated or uneducated, as Shakespeare himself was really minimally educated compared to other writers of his day in particular. So, Laura, just to get a few things out of the way, I mean, someone might say, well, Larry's exceptional. But my understanding is that you have worked extensively with many, many prisoners. Larry was exceptional, of course, in terms of his insight. But there are many, many more who've benefited from this. And not just that, I believe Larry and you work to develop workbooks 
to start a Shakespeare in prison program that, am I right in thinking that Larry was leading it to some degree? Yes. And yes, I worked with hundreds of inmates, and I'm certainly not going to suggest that it worked for 100%. There were some that just said, hey, this isn't for me, no thanks. But really, very few left our program for that reason. We would have people leave maybe because they were transferred, you know, out of one facility and into another, out of one unit into another. But more than anything, we had people, inmates, that stayed with the program and would not leave, (laughs) would stay with it, play after play after play. So Larry, even though he's exceptional in some ways, is certainly not truly unique. It spoke to most of the inmates I've worked with in one regard or another. And within the book, Shakespeare Saved My Life, you do meet several other prisoners in particular. But the quote I have to emphasize, the quote that is the title of the book, Shakespeare Saved My Life, is Larry speaking. It's not me speaking, it's Larry, for whom Shakespeare literally changed and perhaps even saved his life. Yeah, and I remember the quote says, and Larry elaborates, that he saved his life literally and figuratively, literally in that it prevented him perhaps from committing some kind of act of self-harm that may have ended his life, but also figuratively in terms of opening the world of the mind to him. Yes. So in a sense, he is a free man now, even though he will never get out of prison. What do we understand? And I'm going to shift the conversation for a little while onto education in prison. What does freedom really mean? And what does education in prison really allow you to access? Can you reflect, having taught both inside prison, but also outside at the same time, how do you compare those two experiences? Very different in many ways, but but also similar. And staying at least initially with the example of Shakespeare, I can tell you that college students are more afraid of Shakespeare than uneducated prisoners. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I think that's because Shakespeare does bring that reputation or even maybe we can say stigma along with it. The campus students, first of all, initially respond with trepidation. And of course, they have heard of Shakespeare, unlike some of the inmates like Larry. So that tends to get in the way You know, there's that reliance on those darn footnotes. And that's something I tell my students on campus. Please don't waste your time looking at the footnotes. Just get caught up in the story and get what you can from it, as Shakespeare's original audiences did. They didn't stop in the middle of watching the play and look at footnotes (laughs) or Google some terms or, or look at what scholars had to say. So in some ways, I think Shakespeare's being embraced by the academic world in a way has been a problem, been an issue. And so I think he has found a very comfortable home within the prison system because now it's quite a big growing international movement. So while on the one hand right now, the academic world is questioning the canon, and then of course Shakespeare is at the front of that. So will Shakespeare continue to find a home in academia in the university is definitely within question at this point, while at the same time his audience is growing in the prison, where he is in fact changing lives. Are there ways in which students inside prison are somehow less inhibited or freer to ask questions? And now I'm going beyond Shakespeare even, because you of course have taught more than just Shakespeare inside prison. Do you find that there is almost counterintuitively, a freedom of 
inquiry within the prison that we are seeing being stymied in the free world, so to speak. Absolutely. And from my personal experience, as well as the experience of any of the colleagues, meaning other professors, other instructors mm -hmm. that have worked with prisoners and have also taught on campus, they'll tell you the same thing. There is a greater freedom in the prison setting because a huge difference for the voluntary program that I did, there were no grades, right? I've done both things in prison. I have taught college credit classes where, yes, of course, there was homework and a grade writing on it, and it was much more comparable to a typical college classroom. But then in terms of the Larry Newton story and the book, Shakespeare Saved My Life, that all is based on the voluntary work that I did where I had no salary or no requirements, nothing writing on it for, for me. But they also, they, the inmates, the participants, the students, came to it purely voluntarily, which is wonderful. They came to it out of curiosity or, you know, whatever they were hoping to get from Shakespeare, but there wasn't the grade writing on it. And even though they did have homework, <laughs> it wasn't graded in the same way. And there wasn't that inhibition. They were much more free to communicate, to raise questions, to challenge. Larry Newton, by the time I met him, had spent over 10 years consecutively in solitary confinement. You can imagine he was ready to get out of his cage and have a conversation with anybody about anything, even Shakespeare. And so when these inmates came together each week, they were eager to have conversations. But I will tell you, they were focused Shakespeare inquiries. It wasn't, you know, random ramblings. It was very focused and very relevant and very meaningful. The other thing I have to say that's different from a typical college undergraduate classroom is the inmates tended to be older, you know, older and a good bit more life experienced, less academic training, but a lot more life experience typically. So tell me a little bit about what this process of education in the prison meant for these prisoners. Now, my recollection is that a large number of them, especially in the supermax prison, are in, in for life. There's no commuting of the sentence. What does an education mean for those people? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the other experiences I've had in my career is at Indiana State University. I created the curriculum for the four-year bachelor's degree that the university was offering for several years. And I got a similar kind of question that I get a lot is why bother to offer education to a lifer, for example, right? Or someone who's mm -hmm. going to be incarcerated for decades. Why even give them that opportunity? Same thing with, you know, my Shakespeare voluntary program. Why do we care that Shakespeare saved Larry's life? So what if he was going to commit suicide? You know, why should we care if a convicted killer kills himself? Well, if their lives and their attitudes and their values are being changed through Shakespeare, of all things, or through education in general, that can have a huge impact among other prisoners, even among their family members, you know, who are in danger of becoming criminals themselves. Earlier in this interview, you, you referenced the fact that Shakespeare saved Larry's life, literally keeping him from committing suicide, but there is a method of suicide that is known in the prison system as suicide by homicide. In other words, a convicted killer who kills someone else. And in this case, 
It could have been an officer. It could have been a visitor. It could have been an innocent bystander is a way to get that ticket to death row. And that's one way that is not uncommon, is not unheard of. And then for the hardcore criminals, most of whom will eventually be released and maybe moving in next door to you or maybe be the supermarket clerk that you encounter. I mean, these people are in the world, in society, and you want them to be changed. And Shakespeare can do that. Literature can do that, can make you question your choices. Why did you choose a violent way of life or criminal way of life? What are some alternatives? And the curriculum that I created was based on humanities and the goal being a humanizing education because it's good to come out of prison with some you know vocational training that's definitely good you want to get a job i get that but at the same time even if it's just one encounter with a meaningful work of literature whether it's classic or contemporary something that's going to make you question your choices and maybe change your life you commented on how the academic baggage that comes with certain names is inhibiting inquiry outside in the free world among college students because they're intimidated by Shakespeare or other big names. Are there any other reasons you think that open inquiry is threatened on college campuses today in the free world? Well, of course, the movement questioning the canon. There is no question that among Shakespeare's many, many plays, there are some characters that represent racism or sexism from our contemporary perspective. But my personal feeling is that we have to do two things with that. We have to keep in mind the 400 years ago context in which these were written, that you shouldn't jump to the conclusion that Shakespeare is trying to be misogynistic and, in fact, use those texts to have that dialogue, to have that questioning. And that's an excellent way of making Shakespeare relevant. You know, what does he have to say about women, for example, or about race or about class? And you'll often find if you go beyond the surface, and for a lot of people, they don't even go that far. It's like, oh, I don't want to read it. I, you know, I think it's not going to be relevant. But you'll find that in a lot of ways, he was a feminist, if anything. I mean, certainly Juliet is a stronger character than Romeo, no question. And you'll find that in play after play after play. And Taming of the Shrew, by far the most challenging text, where, yes, there are misogynistic moments, ultimately will show, I think, that you have a very, very strong female character there and can be argued that she, in fact, wins you know, the battle of the sexes by the end of that play. I'll tell you, when I taught that play, to a group of women, incarcerated women at a local women's prison, they loved it. They totally embraced it. They said, oh, she is playing him. She knows how to play him and get what she wants. So, <laughs> and what I love about Shakespeare is the multiplicity of interpretation. I mean, he's got something for everyone, no question. So, Laura, let's turn to some of the critiques of the canon, right? In this movement to say that the canon is either patriarchal or it's misogynistic or it's white supremacist. People who are pushing back and saying these are not the texts that speak to our students, particularly to diverse students. Have you heard of hashtag disrupt texts? Yes. In fact, I, I read your excellent article about that today. 
So I'd love to pick your brains about what you think about that movement and the premise of that movement. Well, I feel that there is something in all literature, really. I mean, I would never want to argue for it has to be Shakespeare, only Shakespeare, and nothing but Shakespeare. Certainly not. But I would hate for Shakespeare to be removed from all curriculum also. So I think that there's a place for both. I feel strongly in my experience in 25 years of teaching on and off campus has demonstrated this, that there is something relevant for all students, any gender, any ethnicity, any educational background, any class standing. And as I was saying just a moment ago, that Shakespeare often, yes, he wrote about kings and queens, but the smart people, (laughs) the people that really have the upper hand in a lot of ways are the peasants. In King Lear, it's not Lear who's the smart person, but the fool. It's literally the fool who speaks words of wisdom to a king who is blinded to reality. You see that again and again. And ironically, Shakespeare was very, in some ways, down on education. So you know, he has plenty of moments where he makes fun of the educated members of society. You know, first thing we do, kill all the lawyers is a classic line from a play that most people don't read, King Henry VI. Very often he is the champion of the working class, of the less educated, of the marginalized in society then and today. But there's also a lot of good contemporary literature. And you mentioned a moment ago other literature that I've taught It started in the prison system that I created a class for their college curriculum intended as a capstone. So in their senior year, they were required to take an upper division literature class called Crime and Punishment. And yes, our anchor text was Fyodor Dostoevsky's classic Russian novel called Crime and Punishment, which along with Macbeth, I think, is one of the best texts that gets into the mind of a killer. And by the way, with both the character of Macbeth and Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment, these are not just crazed killers, you know, that we're getting into the mind of. They are, in both instances, good men, honorable men, well-intentioned men that, for whatever reason, you know, that's what we explore. Why did they consider taking on this kind of a criminal act? But along with that, we also read Malcolm X, some of your audience may know Jack Henry Abbott in The Belly of the Beast, Kathy Boudin and her poetry that she wrote when she was incarcerated. We do a lot of contemporary texts alongside with classic texts. My feeling is there's room for both and there's much benefit for all kinds of readers in all kinds of literature. How would you respond to people who say that these texts are by virtue of their depictions of minorities, for instance, are traumatizing or deeply upsetting to our students and make them feel unsafe. I know I've had one student, and truly, literally, just one student that really felt disturbed as a female, as a female student, disturbed by what she saw as the misogyny in Taming of the Shrew. But most of the class saw beyond that and saw ways to you know, use that text. That's, in 25 years, the only example that I can think of. I know that within the prison system, one play that was, well, two plays, actually, that were rather challenging, but only one for racial issues was the play of Othello, of course, which our group was always a mixed racial group in prison. You know, racial issues tend to be magnified 
But the one that was even more challenging, and it had nothing to do with any kind of minority figure, but it was dealing with a very important issue in terms of criminality and criminal choices and criminal values, and that was the play of Hamlet. I see you nodding, and as you know from the book, Larry took on that challenge, which is the greatest one within the prison setting, that you don't choose revenge, right? How do you not choose revenge? Somebody did something against you, you have to do something bad against them, right? But Larry took on that challenge. But again, that had nothing to do with, you know, marginalized ethnic or racial or gender issues. It just had to do with why are you choosing revenge? So when you hear about people trying to, not just trying to, but insisting that literature must only be taught from a social justice lens that takes the values of the present and evaluates everything according to those. One is what goes through your head. Second is, what do you think we should do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first thing that goes through my head is when I first started in grad school 40 years ago. Mm. And that's when the discussion of the canon started. What is the place for Shakespeare? So that's been going on for generations, literally. Obviously, I understand that it's still relevant today and in some ways more relevant, but just that it isn't a brand new movement. It has been going on for at least 40 years, if not more. Mm -hmm. At this point, at least at my university, a conversation I have on that day one class where English majors are, in fact, required to take the class. So we start by recognizing, okay, you're here because you have to be. It's nobody's favorite author. I get that. And that's fine. But then I also raise the question, Why do you think he is the only single-named author's course that's required? We used to have Chaucer, oh, 20 years ago, but even the students that are taking him under duress, under, you know, the requirements and forced to read it and voicing the reasons he's not the favorite, they are also very quick to recognize many, many reasons why it's important to study him and how, among other things, He helps you understand other works of literature, for example, because so much can be traced back to Shakespeare. And by the way, um, the other thing I remind my university students, at least, is a quick 400-year survey of Shakespearean response, because he was certainly not always in favor. His arrival in the world of academia is relatively recent. You know, in his own lifetime, he did pretty well, but then he kind of went out of favor and then back in. And then there was the whole movement that included Mark Twain, by the way, that was questioning, well, who was Shakespeare? Who really wrote Shakespeare's plays? You know, and that was the response to the fact that he was not an elite person. You know, how could some relatively uneducated person write these these plays? So I think if you keep that in mind with the little bit we do know of Shakespeare's background, I think there's a lot to embrace. I mean, this, the students today and maybe the marginalized ones and certainly the prisoner students that haven't had much opportunity in life, Shakespeare represents you in a lot of ways. And yet there's room for contemporary literature as well. Laura, it's been such a delight to speak to you and what a great ambassador for the liberal education you are and for well, for the importance of the humanities and Thank you so much for making the time and speaking to us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Laura Bates is professor of English at Indiana State University and founder of Shakespeare and Shackles. If you enjoyed what you heard here today and would like more discussion about cancel culture, censorship, and freedom of inquiry, follow Banished and check out earlier episodes at banished.substack.com. 
Today, I'll give the last word to Eve Keller, who left a comment in response to our recent discussion about Grease the Musical. Keller attributes much of the incivility and intolerance in our conversations today to the pernicious effects of social media. She says, quote, Having an amplified voice is fun, but it is the dopamine hits to the brain in a social media culture experienced largely in solitude, that is the problem. We need social engagement and eye-to-eye -eye interactions to help mediate our emotional states biologically, and that can't happen in alone spaces. Thank you all for listening. Banished comes to you from Booksmart Studios. It is produced by Matthew Schwartz and Mike Wolo. And I, as always, am Amna Khalid.